0: Luke 2, 6, and 7 forms the basis for a way in a manger. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us this most indescribable gift that came to earth and really wasn't wanted, but you sent him for a purpose for us. We thank you, God, for paying the price for us. Lord, receive these gifts of our gratitude for what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have again today to come before you with our prayers and concerns on our heart. You know what we need. You know even these concerns, but you want us as your children to build our intimacy with you and this beautiful opportunity we have to prayer with you every day is such a blessing. And today, Heavenly Father, we, of course, come to you for this great country that we love and that you've given to us, for the freedoms that we have, and that, Lord, the blessings, and the, uh, even in a time when things are a struggle, that things are going on that are just outstanding, Lord. We pray especially, too, for our leaders, that they will listen to you, and that they will follow your way. Pray also, too, Father God, for those men and women who will be working these holidays for us to keep us safe. And if an emergency pops up, we can dial those three numbers. And we're grateful that they can show up at our door and help us. We praise you also, too, Lord, for those that are on farm soil that are not with their families this year because they have to guard and protect our democracy. And we pray for those young men and women who are doing such a great job for us. And today, Heavenly Father, too, we come to you with those that we know in in, um, situations where they are no longer able to get around. And how tiring it can be for them and how frustrating. But Lord, we lift them up as they find the time to enjoy you and pray to you and give over their prayers and also their thoughts to you, Christ I think of Bill, and I think of Evelyn, and I think of Lucille, and Karen, and Kay, and Joyce. Be with them, Lord. Today I pray also, too, for a young woman who was engaged to a young man yesterday that I ministered to. He lost his life in a car wreck. I just pray that you bring comfort to her. I pray also, too, for my friend Angie, and also Samantha. Both of those girls are battling cancer. for their families as they support them and give them the strength that they need. I thank you that Brother Don was here today who had a knee replacement and is doing very well. We pray also to Father God for um, this Christmas holiday season when people will be traveling quite a bit and people will be spending time with families. May they be fruitful times and enjoyable times. And also bring those who travel from long distance and even short distance, that they'd have a safe journey on the roads. I pray also, to Father God, for those who we know that are battling addiction these holiday seasons. I pray, Father God, for Ryan and Jordan and David and Eric and Ricky and Martin. They battle, Lord. I pray that they can look to you, Christ. I pray for marriages that are battling right now and struggling. Some of them are trying to stay alive, some of them want to close the door, but I just pray that they will look to you for their wisdom and strength and that they see the power that they can have in Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, for the family where moms and dads spend time with their children and work with them and try to continue to grow them and that you will just bless them as these little disciples. And Father God, now we come to you too, Lord, with this word that you've got for us. Uh, i thank you for the holiday season lord and it can be a depressing time for some people lord and i just pray that lord people can we can share the joy that we have in christ with them and they can find peace with their hearts lord thank you for this time now we pray that we can come away today with something in our hearts that we needed to hear from you and that we hear it Lord, sometimes our ears can be so stuffed up with so many things from our society that we can't hear you. The noise is so loud. Help us, Lord, to hear what we need to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. Someone once wrote about a preacher who was the old school preacher. And he speaks very boldly to everyone. But he's not a popular preacher. And yet, the world is his parish, and he travels all over the world and speaks to all kinds of languages. He visits the poor, he shows up at the rich's house, he can be global. He is with people who are of religion and people that don't have any religion. And his subject of his sermon is always the same he's an eloquent preacher. Oftentimes stirring feelings, no other preacher can. He brings tears to the eyes of those who don't even weep much, and his arguments are hard to refute. And the heart remains a powerful, unmoved force until they meet him. He shatters all kinds of walls and facades and messages. Most people hate him. People fear him, and his name is Pastor Death. Every tombstone is his pulpit. Every newspaper column carries a column of his work. And someday we're going to be the topic of one of his sermons. Oftentimes we find people will sometimes make a laugh about death. Jerry Seinfeld, for instance, he said there were studies made and people, they found out the biggest fear people have is speaking in front of audiences. And the second fear is death. And he says, so the average person who's at a funeral would rather be in the coffin than be up speaking and given a an eulogy of his friend. Well, today we're going to speak further about one of the most feared thing in all of life, which is death. The Apostle Paul is going to give us great encouragement about what we have in Jesus Christ. If you remember, as we're going through and finishing up now 1 Corinthians, the eyes that were helped us understand what Corinthians is about, the eye of immorality was there. We had the immorality of the... the uh, temple of uh, Aphrodite, the sex goddess, and they were having problems with the Corinthian church. Paul had started uh, and spent a year and a half preaching there, but some of the men were even stopping on the way home to a brothel and having a liaison with one of those gals before he came home, and of course, that created all problems with their marriage, which also Paul deals with, and they also had incest in the congregation, which Paul deals with. Then, if you remember, we had the eye of in, immaturity. That they would take the dinners at the church that they were having. And they wouldn't provide for other people who didn't have. And they were just taking care of their families. And that also, God had given them to um, good speakers, preachers. And they began to have fights on who was the best preacher in town. And then also, too, their immaturity spilled over into the spiritual gifts that God had given to the Corinthians, to edify the church, to build them up, to teach them. And so they began to see them as bragamony times, you know. Well, God has given me the gift of tongues, and he's given me the gift of prophecy. And then the third problem they had, which was with the questions and not understanding immortality, death, and life. They didn't understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ because most Corinthians were brought up in the Greek culture that didn't believe in life after death. And so here Paul speaks to them not only about the resurrection of Jesus but also the resurrection of themselves after they died. See, most Greek philosophers felt that their bodies were prison And the philosopher, of course, Plato, came out and said, Well, our bodies are a prison, but when you die, your body's done with, and your soul still lives on. He borrowed some of the Gnostic philosophy. And we see that in Corinth. They had the Hedonists who believed that nothing will happen to you and once you might as well live to your fullest extent, eat, drink, and be merry because you don't know what tomorrow brings and nothing's going to happen to you at the end. There's no judgment, no accountability. Then there was also the pantheist who you go back into the soul of God and you just live on. But there's nothing that you do on earth that affects that. But then there was a third philosopher, Plato, who said, no, your soul lives on, but it's pure, and you don't have to worry about what you do with the body. Well, Paul stops the whole thing and says, this is what God has for us when we die. This is what's going to happen to your bodies. And you see, for bodies in the Christian faith, it's very important what your body has. And that is your body is the temple of God. And that your body will be changed and made new. And we do and will have physical bodies as Jesus did in his resurrection. And he showed his disciples. And if you remember, Paul said there is going to be a resurrection. He gave us evidence. He said, look at the change in me who fought against Christianity. Christ changed my heart. And look at some of you Corinthians who you were living terrible, sinful lives and God redeemed you. He said, then look at the history. Historically, Jesus rose from the dead. And that it was prophesied years ahead of time, thousands of years. And so we know that this Christian faith, which is different than all the other faiths of the world, folks. Christianity is a historical faith. And the reason it is, is because it actually happened. Without Christ raising physically from the dead our faith is nothing it's just another principles that the world has of other religions but that's not so our faith is grounded in history and things and events that happened And the most great if anybody can disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ they'd end christianity but you see they haven't been able to do that and they can't and paul presents the third thing is that there were visible evidences after he rose he ate with his disciples they touched his arms they felt his body They saw him. It was different. His resurrected body could appear in rooms when the doors were locked and the windows were shut. But it still was a physical body. And so Paul now, as he's concluding what happens to us as Christians when we die. And what's going to happen to us when Christ returns. And what that intermediate state is all about. Paul is now going to speak to us. And he says to us, and he said, you know, last week he said, it's sown in an ugly seed and will be raised a beautiful flower. When you're buried in the ground, it will be raised a beautiful flower. And he says, let me show you the secret, the mystery that God has for us. And he begins, now I say to you, brethren, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Now here, the Apostle Paul is saying, folks, this is what happens. You see, these bodies that we have right now, They don't fit for eternity. And we in these bodies are perishable. And that these bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And that the people who are dead are going to decay. And they're going to be eaten by worms. But yet... There's going to be a change. But they have to be remade and fit for heaven. How many of us have gone to a restaurant? We run into this all the time down the New Jersey shore when we go to our vacation. No shirt, no shoes, no service. Well, it's the same way with heaven. (laughs) These perishable bodies are not fit for heaven. We cannot exist in heaven the way we are. We decay, we fall apart. And what the Bible is saying here that we have to be suited to be able to get into heaven. We see that when our astronauts go into outer space and we had seen our astronauts get on the moon's floor, they had to be suited with a suit. To keep the same temperature and atmosphere and everything so that they could walk on the moon. Because the atmosphere didn't fit our bodies. And the same is true with us when we go to heaven. We have to have new bodies. We have to be changed. We have to be changed from these incorruptible, these corruptible bodies to incorruptible bodies. From these, imper- these perishable bodies to imperishable bodies. And this is Paul's argument to us. And he says, let me tell you a mystery. Now, he's not talking about bringing out Sherlock Holmes here. He's saying, I'm just revealing to you what God has shown us. And understanding what God's going to do. When Jesus Christ returns, the resurrected body of Christ is the final and full completion of our salvation. And that, as in other religions, the body does not matter. Our faith, our bodies are very important. And that what is going to happen is God is going to take these natural bodies that we have and he's going to turn them into spiritual bodies. Flesh and blood is not going to inherit the kingdom of God in heaven. We need to be changed. And these earthly bodies will be changed. And if you notice here, some people were worried. You know, they ask, you know, if we don't sleep, will we be changed? And what the word there he's using, sleep, means death. We call it death. But see, the Apostle Paul calls it sleep because it's only a temporary condition. For the Christian who's buried in the ground, it's only temporary. And that the word cemetery really means place of sleep. So every time you go by a cemetery, just think they're sleeping right now. All of us Christians will be sleeping someday in that cemetery if Christ doesn't return before we we uh, leave this earth. And he says, Paul says to us, what happens in death? Then, as we're put in the ground, and we're waiting. in the presence of God we're with Jesus but our bodies are left in the ground and of course they decay in fact people who were buried 600 years ago I doubt we would find any stuff that they're even still there and you think about the grave you know how many I go to I do funerals and people put these big large uh, cement things to put their coffin in and guess what those bodies still Decay and the worms get at them. <laughs> and what happens is, if you put a body in 600 years ago, you may not find anything. But guess what? When Christ returns, and physics shows us that energy and matter are never lost. And when Christ returns and the trumpet is sounded, those bodies will be brought back together in their bodily form. They will be brought back. And what seemed to be nothing, God will take that energy and matter and it will bring it back together in a new body. You see, one of the things that they found with Christians in Rome, they had the catacombs. And the Christians were burying their dead in the catacombs because they were fearful that there would be nothing left of them. And so they would have them there and they would continue to try to work on those bodies and make sure they were preserved. But they didn't have it right. They were confused. They were afraid that when you died and what happens to your body, it's not going to be raised with Jesus anymore if there's nothing there. But they were wrong. And Paul says that to us. Because notice what he says, in the moment, in the twinkling of eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. All the dead. No matter how long they've been in the ground and what their condition is. And he says it's going to take place. And, and we see it in Thessalonians, the word here is caught up together. Notice what's going to happen. The dead who are buried are going to rise up first and we're going to meet them if we're still on earth together in the air. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and we'll always be with the Lord. But notice what he says here in Vacuum 52. And he says, In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, Now, we all know about the blink of an eye, how fast that is. But what Paul is saying here, he's saying a blink of the eye, which is a nanosecond. It's going to be instantaneous. And that we're going to be caught up in the air. And that if you notice, if this Christ comes back today, all our loved ones are down at Rest Haven or wherever they are, they will be caught up and they will be taken out of the ground with their new glorified bodies. And as we go up with them, notice what he says in a moment, in twinkling of our last trumpet, we will be raised, the dead will be raised impersonal, and we will be changed. And so that's what's going to happen to us instantaneously, and we're still alive. And We're not going to be there forever in that grave. I was laughing. I read a story about a preacher who was talking about that. And one day he was home and he got a phone call from a cemetery in the area. And you know what they used to do in the old days? They used to sell plots. And this gal was trying to sell him a plot. And she said, we're selling cemetery plots. And if you want, I can sign you up with one and I can get you on a, on a, a payment plan. And he says, well, I don't want to buy one. He said, I want to rent one. He says, because I'm not going to be there forever. He said, and so can I pay it monthly and have a rental? Because when Christ comes, he's going to take me up out of it. And I won't have to pay for it anymore. And you see, this is what Paul is saying. This is the mystery. He's saying to us, if we're dead in the ground, we're going to be taken up with new bodies. God is going to bring us together in our being and move us up. And we're going to meet those who are still alive on this earth. And if we're still alive, we will be changed also. So that we change from this perishable body to this imperishable body. And you see, this is nothing new in the Old Testament. Elijah was taken up. There were other, Enoch was taken up to be with the Lord. And they were made into these new imperishable bodies. And we, at the very instant of a nanosecond, we will be changed. And the word is used as anatomos, which means atoms, will be brought to center in a microsecond. And that we're going to get caught up in the air with the Lord. And we're going to be changed. And we're going to become new. And notice what he says. It's the trumpet. The last trumpet. It's, the trumpet was always used in the Bible. To call people together to fight. Called in Exodus 19 to come together so they can hear about the law of God that was given to Moses at Sinai. The trumpet was used when they would go to war. But now the final trumpet is the one that calls us together. And we will all be taken up into this new reality of eternity in heaven. Jesus then says to us, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my house are many mansions. I've prepared a mansion for you. And you're going to have a physical body, but it's going to be a new and glorious body. And that when we go to be with Him, it's going to be free of all the things that we struggle with now the pain, the suffering, the cancers, the fighting, the arguing, all of that is going to be done away with. And we're going to receive these new bodies and new beings that are renewed, and they're just. Like Christ made in his image. And we will really live as he lives. This is what the Bible says here today to us. And that we're looking for this glorious appearing, Paul says to Titus. Of our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that he will renew us into these new bodies. And Paul then goes on to say, look at the triumph we have. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. And when this perishable has been put on the imperishable, and the mortal has put on the immortality, then come about the sayings that are written. And these are sayings that came out of Hosea. And it's a mocking of death. Paul's mocking death here. And he says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death. Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is law. And thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. So in this instantaneous flash, 53, it says we're going to be given these imperishable bodies that will never die. These bodies that will live on forever. And that we will be set free instantaneously. And have these imperishable bodies. And so Paul mocks death. And says you got to be kidding. You don't have any hold on me anymore. When the trumpet sounds. Death you'll be swallowed up. And the transformation will be taking place. And I won't fear you anymore. Because you have no hold on me. We see it in the prophet Isaiah in chapter 25. Listen to what he's prophesied to us. And the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all the people on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces of marrow, refined and aged wine. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the coverings, which is over all people. Even the veil which is stretched over all the nations. Everybody dies. And he will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord will wipe away all the tears from all the faces. And remove the reproach from the people of God. You know, when we, death is such a powerful, hurtful thing. Yesterday, when I was on duty with the police department, I had to go and console a woman who just had received news that her fiance was killed. So overwhelmed with grief. Oh my gosh. And so, so sad. But yet, the hope that was there with the resurrection. That we, when we hear that news, it's like diving. We can't stay underwater too long, but God's going to put this suit on us that will not perish and we will last everlastingly. We'll have new bodies. And Paul is saying to us, we can laugh at death. We don't have to fear it. We can push it down. Because we're victorious over it. All our fears and concerns about death are over. In fact, what he says to us is incredible. Because you see, what the Bible here is talking about, not only death will not affect us anymore. But all the things that it has hurt us in the past with, all that's been destroyed, will all be brought back new. It's kind of like a forest fire, if you will. You know, they dig a line of dirt to stop a forest fire. And on Christ on the cross, he stopped death from affecting us anymore. We don't have to fear death. But what Paul is saying here, not only does it stop death from affecting us, but it reverses all the stuff of the past that's been destroyed. And that it's going to make it new. That's what this whole resurrection and Christ's return is going to do for our lives. And Christ not only died for our sins that we deserve to go through and go to hell for. But he also died to sin. And that means the guilt and the punishment and all those things of the past that should and, and 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 hurt us will no longer be there. And they're buried with Christ in his death and brought alive and new with his resurrection. And that even the law that condemns us will no longer have an effect on us because Jesus fulfilled it. And so we're free. Because all that love, that law has been satisfied, and now we are free in Christ in heaven to not have to worry about the law. And its power has lost. And so Paul says, Death's sting (coughs) has been extracted, and we have victory over us. It's sad because one of the most brilliant minds in our world that we heard of, and a guy by the name of Sigmund Freud. And he looked at death in his brilliance as a riddle that nobody could ever solve and how wrong he was. Because Paul says to him, my friend, Sigmund, you got it wrong. Death has no more a sting. It's not a riddle. It's because of sin that we died. And we died today. We put loved ones in the ground. But Sigmund, it's been resolved. And Jesus Christ has taken the stinger out of death. I don't know about you, but when I'm sitting at a picnic table and I get a big bee coming near me, I get nervous. (laughs) And I don't like it. Because I have been stung a couple times. In fact, one time as a child, I was stung by a wasp in my eye. And that was painful. But what beautiful thing it is, is that the Bible says to us, Jesus took the stinger out of what the death can do to us. And it can't hurt us. It's totally harmless. And it so exciting for us to not have to fear that. And that God gives us a whole new life and livelihood that's free of all that stinger and hate and pain and suffering and the damage that death can do. And so Paul then rejoices in it. And notice what he says. It's at that point that we give thanks to God, verse 57, who gives us the victory in Jesus Christ and our lives now. Now that we know this and we believe in Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity not to be afraid of dying, but we can live more than we ever had and we live a life of gratitude to God for what he's done in Jesus Christ. And everything we do then we do in gratitude of what a blessing we have in life. And Paul uses that then in his epilogue. And he says to us, Therefore, beloved brethren, be steadfast. Don't let anybody rock your stability about your death and your resurrection because you have eternal hope. And that we can have comfort in this as we die. We don't have to be afraid to die. We don't have to be afraid when we put our loved ones in the ground. Because we know we will see them again. And so we have this great comfort as Christians. But also that it doesn't affect our stability now on this earth. There will be people who will come along and say that it's not true but we know it's true. And that we can stand tall for what we believe. And that we don't have to let it rattle us. Three weeks ago here at night, a man made the accusation to, about me. And our denomination Is truly walking another side. Even though it may say something publicly. I had a picture sent to me. From one of the New York papers. And it was our. our, our Staunch church. That was started. When the denomination started here. Back in the 1600s. It's called Marble Collegiate Church. It's right across from Madison Square Garden. And if you ever go to the church, it's beautiful inside. And it has gates around it, big black iron gates. And a lot of people think that's there so that keep vandalism from happening. No, those gates were put there back in the 1600 to keep the cows and goats from coming into the church and walking over the church property. That's why they're there. Now, today they, they serve other purposes. But they're on the front of the church... With the pastor standing there with his robe and with a stole that was multicolored and the gay pride thing in front of the church. What are we saying to the world? And that's what cracked me up about this. Because it was untrue. And Paul is saying to us, no matter what, you keep... Your eyes and head in the Word and rock solid, stable with the Word of God. Because heaven and earth, the Bible says, is going to pass away, but God's Word is not. We hear it in Jesus. You know, when I was a little kid, I loved to sing this song about how... The parable that Jesus talked about, about the man who built his house on the rock, and the man who built himself on the sand. And when the rain came, listen, therefore, everyone who hears my words of mine and acts upon them may compare to a wise man who built his house upon the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came. And the winds blew and burst against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock, which is Christ. And everyone who hears my words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew. And it fell, and great was it full. So say steadfast, immovable. That inspires us then to, look what it says, that when we understand these truths and we stand steadfast and immovable, we're always abounding in work, the Lord. We want to do things to glorify God because he's given us so much. And we just want to let it fly for people. And that we realize, this is the thing that you know, some people look at you and they say, do you realize that everything that you do for Christ to somebody to help them in the Lord, Lord that you're, treasure, you're building up treasures in heaven. And Jesus said. Where moth, moth and dust don't corrupt it. It can't change it. And be ready. When you do these things. And do them in the Lord. To it, ready to hear him say to you. When you come through with that new body. <laughs> well done good and faithful servant. All by his grace. You know, there are people in this world who will use you. I no doubt know there are people who use me every day. You be kind to them and you give them a break or you help them out. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I had one guy who forgot that he left his phone on. And I was going to take him a, gift card for food I got Pastor Dave again conned that's what he said (laughs) but you know what I gave him the card and I said I heard what you said that you had me conned (laughs) oh no no I didn't mean yeah okay (laughs) we know but look what the Bible says here it says knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And even though he used me. I mean, there are times that I take mom's cards for Dylan's because they need food for their babies. But their money that they got, they used from other sources was used on meth. But I learned early on in my ministry, That this verse says it, and I don't give away money foolishly, but that no matter, even if you're used by them and you don't know it. (laughs) Look what it says here. You did it for the Lord and your toil is not in vain. And that God is going to reward you for what you've done. And that that day when we come, Christ frees us. And he will say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And you don't have to feel that, well, I was made a fool of and I, I was used by them. That you can remember that you did it for the Lord. And the Lord will reward you. This passage has been just so great. This whole Corinthians experience for me has been a great spiritually growing experience. And yet, out of it all, the greatest part of this is to know the assurance of what we have in Jesus Christ. It's just phenomenal. And it takes away all the fear out of our lives and gives us great hope in our future. And I hope you've been blessed by it too. And I want to leave you with someone wrote about this. Now, there are some people who wonder about this man. He was a leader in our country. And yet he had a pretty wild life. But before he died, he wrote an epitaph. Now, when we were kids in in New Jersey, growing up. I remember one summer, my dad and mom, we had a day down the shore. We we spent the whole week down the shore and we had taken my cousin, actually, who just lost his mother and was struggling and uh, with it. And so we brought him with us on our vacation. And this day was overcast and wet and kind of just a dreary day. And so they took us... Down to Philadelphia. And they took us to Independence Hall. And we got to walk around and see all the exhibits and stuff that are there. And something that I never realized. You know, you know, as a kid, you just don't pay attention to some things. But then I found out, and studying for this passage today, that there uh, was a, uh, an erection of... A, in a cemetery plot for Benjamin Franklin at this Christ Church in Philadelphia. And we, we were there. I remember going and running up and down and my parents were having livid fits because we were acting you know, like crazy kids that shouldn't be running into church. And we were told that all the time, but especially at this church, you know, White Pews and Franklin was here and Washington worshiped here and all these guys. Well, in this yard at this church, they have a plaque on behalf of Ben Franklin, who died and he's buried there. And this is what it says The body of B. Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents are torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here. Food for worms, but the work shall not be lost. It will be as believed to appear once more in a new and more elegant edition, corrected and improved by the author. Well, that says it, doesn't it? What Christ will do for us in the resurrection. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for the blessing of great hope that we have in you. That we have a certainty. Of hope that shall never be diminished. That even as our bodies diminish and wear out. And there's going to be a day when we're going to be gone. That we know that you're going to bring us back. In new bodies. And experience the joy of heaven and life in the most grandest way. Thank you, Jesus, for this time today. And for the hope we have. In your name we pray. Amen. Please rise as we receive the benediction. Now grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, be and live in your life as you go out. And so those works that are not in vain, but glory to the Lord. Amen. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Who died on Calvary, from sin to set us free. Someday he's coming back, what glory that will be. Wonderful is love to me.